Welcome to Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up of the stories we've been doing here at Parliament. I'm Jessica Much and this is Andrea Vance. We are coming to you from the legendary Beehive studio here at Parliament and we've had a pretty big week with our poll numbers yeah, this week. Yeah, it's a busy week. Not a recess week, but um, another big one politics. Yeah. Well, it's got everyone talking. Yeah, it has actually, which has been quite good. So let's have a look at that poll story first. This is our second poll of the year and the first with Simon Bridges at the helm, so a good chance to see how things are tracking. National is on 44, up one and sitting pretty as the biggest party. Labour gets 43, that's a five point drop since our last poll in February. Interestingly though, that drop from Labour is being lapped up by its support parties. The Greens are on six, up one, and New Zealand First on five, up two. The Māori Party isn't in Parliament anymore, but is still registering support with 1%. Let's see that translate into seats in Parliament. Labour brings in 52 seats, add in the Greens 8 and New Zealand First with 6, and it can comfortably govern with 66 seats. National brings in a big chunk of 54 seats, but with ACT as its only friend, it falls short. Now let's turn to the preferred Prime Minister numbers. Jacinda Ardern is on 37, dropping four points since our last poll. The new national leader, Simon Bridges, is only getting 10% and the Deputy Prime Minister, Winston Peters, gets five. For this poll, we talked to just over 1,000 people with a margin of error of 3%. So some big numbers shifting around there. A readjustment for Labour. It's had a spike in the last poll. But it's been a messy few weeks for the government, and these numbers reflect that. Yeah, so some surprising numbers there. I mean, I guess we should say it's a poll early in the cycle. It doesn't actually mean uh, too much when you get down to, to thinking about what's going to happen in 2020. But I would have thought that Labour would be quite worried that they're on the slide this early in the cycle. Um, often you can't recover from the numbers when they're on the downward slide. And I, I guess that they would have been pretty disappointed. Yeah, I think it's interesting if you compare it with the first poll we did at the start of the year. It had... Remind us of those numbers because I, I can't even remember. Because it had Labour um, at 48. <laughs> That's right, and it was that very was, high. It was big and they now are calling it a spike and, and I can see that. But she'd just come off a really good summer, mm -hmm. new Prime Minister. Pregnancy. Pregnancy. I think we were expecting a big number mm -hmm. and it now seems like we're settling back into the political grind yep. a little bit more with it. So I think that even though perhaps that was a, a little bit big, a yep. little bit high, um, I, I think that they have dropped back a little bit. Also with preferred Prime Minister number, she's dropped four. So Still quite high, though. I mean, still high. Still comfortable margins. Yeah, though. but I just think they'll be noting that, that thinking, OK, right, the honeymoon's been and gone. Now this is the proper politics, mm. day in, day out. Absolutely. And I wonder, um, obviously, that we were polling... Um, before the oil and gas yes. announcement. And I wonder how different those numbers would have been after the oil and gas announcement. I mean, there were, there's been a lot of criticism for of it uh, from certain circles, but there will, of course, be a lot of people who think it's a great idea and are really happy that they're doing something to address this. Um, I just I just wonder if we had been polling for a few extra days, would there have been much of a change? Yeah. I think also um, they'll be hoping very hard that they can turn this around because they've got the budget. You always have a budget bounce. Uh, they make a real effort to make the budget um, 
you know, there'll be popular measures in the budget, but also they're already giving us warning signals that the budget isn't going to be what everyone hoped. And, there, you know, there, people are going to be disappointed and there's not a lot of cash to splash around. So, I mean, is, is this is this the beginning of the end already yeah. so early? I mean, we definitely got the message, don't get too excited about the, about budget. the budget. Certainly, yeah. Um, so I think they're going to try and temper those expectations. But interesting, because we were talk- I was talking to um, Simon Bridges, we did an interview with him this week, and he said, oh, look, the government has raised all of these expectations mm. around the budget that they're going to splash the cash with um, spending in health and education. So you've got National saying the expectations are really high <laughs> and the government coming and saying the expectations have to be realistic <laughs> yeah. and it'll, it'll be a bit of a battle who can get their message out there yeah. over the next the next month or so. The other thing, what did you think of Simon Bridges' numbers as well? I think, um, I mean, I actually, if I was Simon Bridges, given that he's new in the game, I would actually have been comfortable with where he was. was 10%, right? Yeah, yeah. 10 uh, I think that's pretty good for someone coming in relatively unknown, new to the job, hasn't, apart from the initial uh, flurry of atten- media attention when he took over, hasn't had a lot of a lot of um, media, a lot of, you know, there's not, there hasn't certainly been a lot of soft media around him. Um, I think if I, I would be, I would have been pleased. I should say that um, behind the scenes, uh, National are saying that their polling numbers are much, they've got him much higher, his favourables are much higher. He's 45, he's doing really well. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's making a lot of headway there. So um, it's interesting, but I think it's pretty good. I, I disagree a little bit. I think that he has been a high profile minister mm-hmm. um, coming into this. And I feel like he should have been better known um, in these, I think that people either know him and don't like him very much or don't know him. And either way, I feel like it's different with your Andrew Littles and your David Cunliffe's and your Phil Goff's coming in to be the leadership role. They were coming in in opposition, and I feel that comes from a different platform. So I, I mean, seven weeks, yep, it, he hasn't been in the job for very long. I just kind of think that I'd be a little bit nervous if I were if I were him, just seeing those numbers, I think next poll mm. he'll be wanting to see a bounce mm. because we're getting used to him and getting to know him and all of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, interesting. He's got to work hard to get his face out there, especially when Jacinda's on this big Europe trip and she's yeah. a lot of very favourable media. She's, you know, lots of photos of her meeting the Queen and Angela Merkel. and um, yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely got his work cut out for him and the smaller parties the greens six is not bad yeah um new zealand first they they didn't i actually expected them to be (laughs) i expected them to be well below five percent each um but yeah i I think that the greens certainly are very comfortable yeah so if you look at the picture what labor lost almost was lapped up by those other smaller parties so they'll be fairly comfortable with that position yeah um and and maybe they did get a little bit more attention you've had the greens co-leadership stuff um so they got a little bit of attention for that during that polling period Mm. um and also new zealand first um with winston peters um, perhaps taking the more statesman role may have got over the last few months as foreign minister that may have made a little bit of a difference too. And I guess with this oil and gas announcement, although it wasn't picked up um, by our poll, I think, I mean, one of the key things for those smaller parties in government is to make sure that they uh, they are different. Also, firstly, to be 
to be showing that they're making wins and gains, but also to differentiate themselves from the from the major party and each other. And I actually think that oil and gas uh, announcement in many ways did that for them. The Greens mm. got their win. Um, they made, you know, it was the long-held ambition of the Greens, long-held policy. James Shaw can keep the grin off his face. I think he's still smiling. Um, and then and then Winston, um, sorry, Shane Jones then made it very obvious that he wasn't that. I mean, there was lots of theatrics in the press conference with the facial expressions. And, and Jacinda Ardern went a long way to make it clear that, that they'd had to work hard to get uh, New Zealand first on board and New Zealand for, first had got lots of concessions around regional development and jobs and things uh, tied to that announcement. So, yeah, I, th- I think they actually, I think they're very conscious of the idea that they are going to get swallowed up if they don't work hard. And they're both very, very, working very hard on their messaging to make sure that they do look like very different, very separate parties. Mm. It's fascinating. I think yeah. it'll, be the, it'll be the story of the next election. Yeah. Another um, issue that we've been covering this week has been the whole Russia hacking spy saga. Let's have a look at Katie Bradford's track. Foreign hackers exploiting basic internet equipment to target thousands of homes and businesses around the world, including New Zealand. We now have uh, a level of sophistication that is not necessarily people to people, um, but cyber-based attacks. The American, British and Australian governments accusing Russian hackers of being behind the cyber war last year. Potentially 400 Australian companies were targeted, but don't believe that there's been any uh, um, exploitation of, uh, of significance. They believe Russian state actors targeted big businesses and essential infrastructure like power and water. We have attributed cyber attacks to Russia um, in the past and it's highly likely that a number of the issues that we've seen in New Zealand could be, um, could be attributed in that way in the future. The GCSB has confirmed it's been told of the cyber attacks. Director General Andrew Hampton issued an alert to National Cyber Security Centre customers. He said there were nearly 400 threats last year, 122 of those connected to foreign intelligence agencies, including Russian state actors, and that blaming cyber incidents on particular countries is not taken lightly. The very basis of these cyber attacks is the ability to operate them remotely um, from any part of the world. Overnight, Jacinda Ardern is expected to sit down with the other Five Eyes leaders in London. She'll meet with her Australian, British and Canadian counterparts where Russia and cyber security is likely to be at the top of the agenda. That says concern grows about Russian retaliation for action taken in Syria. It could certainly be a pre-positioning manoeuvre for an attack on critical infrastructure. But as tensions ramp up, Russia says the allegations are unsubstantiated. So big picture with all of this, um, the Prime Minister was initially quite sluggish in her handling of this whole thing. So I think there's a lot tied in to this for her. She's been answering questions on this for the last couple of weeks now. Mm. Um, And I think it's her first foray, I guess, into, uh, as Prime Minister, into the world stage with with all of that feeding into it as well. So a big challenge for her over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, certainly. I mean, she would have seen this international reporting um, and probably it's a bit of a headache. It reminds people of the Russia issue, the response to the Syria attacks and the, the sort of forensic analysis into her language around she didn't support it, she accepted it and utterly accepted it. I suppose, I mean, I suppose from her point of view, it's 
it's interesting for us. It's a good old-fashioned spy story. I think we're going to see a lot more of this. It's really interesting that the GCSB confirmed it. They came out publicly, Andrew Hampton, and talked about it. Um, the timing is fascinating. I mean, I think the White House played it down, the timing, but certainly it's, it's, it has to have been tied to the situation in Syria and Russia's position on Syria and the airstrikes. Um, this investigation into the cyber attacks has been going on for as I understand it, a few months now it's not something that happened yesterday or last week and so there's a lot of cynicism about the timing but I imagine for Jacinda Ardern as you say a big picture politics for her just to be reminded of her her pretty you know shoddy handling of the of the um, the Russia issue and when she's in Europe and people in Europe are, are interested in her handling of it, it's made international attention, she'll be, I would imagine, have been explaining her position in that Four Eyes meeting mm. and, um, and to Angela Merkel and to, the you know, Macron. So yeah. I'm, on, on that, it was really interesting hearing Theresa Mays, the New Zealand journalists asked her whether what she thought of the way that Jacinda Ardern had handled it. And she said, we're something like, we are very good friends and I very much appreciated the international reaction. So choosing her words very carefully, not to say, ah, oh, didn't really like the way that she handled it, but praising in general the, um, the people's handling of it. And I think that's an example of, of this all playing out for her and the timing of it, having to face up to the to the rest of the group on that. Absolutely. And just uh, the whole the whole situation with the, the strikes has is, is been... You can see it's very uncomfortable for Labour. I mean, they, they, you know, they had a position on Iraq. Their support base doesn't really support that kind of intervention, particularly when it's not supported by the UN. You can understand why the UN wasn't involved, but uh, yeah, you can see like, it's, uh, obviously they would have spent a lot of time poring over that statement, trying to get the wording right. So to appear like to their international partners, this was the ideal stance, but to their support base back home, you know, to keep with that traditional <laughs> position. So it's not, it's not a situation I would have, I would have enjoyed being in. Certainly it was a very tricky, fine line for her to, to, um, to tread. Hey, so you've, You've had a, you've been to Russia. And you had you had some interesting experiences there. You yeah, we share, went, share them for the group. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I went during the um, for the Winter Olympics to Sochi to cover the games, and I think um, for for a lot of us, Russia seems like this very mysterious, um, faraway continent. Uh, and not not a lot of people go and visit there, but we got the opportunity to, obviously, because all of the New Zealand athletes were going there. Um, we tried to do, um, cameraman Phil Melville and I tried to do um, some filming um, away from the focus of the centre and get out of, and about a little bit um, and found that somewhat restrictive at times. And, you know, <laughs> you'd be a couple of kilometres away from the um, village and... Um, a nice little shoulder tap um, from the from some of the Russian police um, with things. So we we managed to get a few pictures here and there just because it's it's such a rare opportunity to be able to go. Um, just what we were able to film was very um, closely monitored, but fascinating insight. So did you have a you had a bodyguard? Did you or someone watching you at all times? We had so we pulled in one incident we pulled in um and we wanted to get some shots of infrastructure with the trains and the and um we were on the side of the road not far from the village and just we were filming there um and just a car pulled in a police car pulled in um you know a minute after we did um mm -hmm. to come and do it. So I just think there was heightened attention because of the games there was obviously a lot of 
international media there sure. and they um, they were very keen to see passports and visas and and all sorts of things. Well, um, when, I mean, there is virtually no media freedom in Russia, right? No. It's very, and it's not something that we're used to. We have the luxury of a, a great deal of freedom. I remember, yeah. did you do did you do APEC in Vladivostok? No, that? that was Curran. Ah, yeah. I remember um, Vernon Small, who's a veteran political reporter, and John Armstrong, also a veteran political reporter. And I remember them telling us the story about when they were there for the economic summit APEC of Vladivostok and they had to stand out in the rain for a very long time just because there was no accommodation for journalists and you yeah know, they just they just didn't really care they couldn't couldn't really didn't really have any responsibility to them so yeah and you've got to remember it sounds really tricky to report but from yeah Russia. we are lucky to live in a country like New Zealand I think you know the more you travel the more you realize um what a luxury we have in New Zealand in terms of access and all of that stuff so mm. but with this story I mean we I mean a big focus for me has been, um, you know, keeping our digital media safe and our emails and that kind of thing. And I guess as, as journalists now, this, this issue of cyber hacking um, is so much more of a threat now. And the, Russia is so advanced that um, that that media freedom that we enjoy mm. <clears throat> is kind of encroaching on those freedoms that we yeah. have, you know. Yeah. Well, sorry for going off on a slight <laughs> tangent there, but a little, a little bit of a chat. I hope, that, I hope <coughs> that was mildly interesting for people. But we can cut that bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've compiled um, now some of our visits from our New Zealand leaders over to Europe and a little bit of a trip down memory lane. First stop, Buckingham Palace. The Prime Minister here to be formally sworn in as a Privy Councillor. A wave to onlookers that hope for a glimpse of the Queen, then inside for this most secret of rituals. Moscow is the last stop on this Prime Ministerial tour, but that's now on the balance. I was uh, interested to get uh, John Major's views on Russia. I mean, clearly the President's under some pressure with his own Congress. An audience with the Queen means on schedule and on alert. A check for bombs on the train. <laughs> Accompanied by her husband, Mrs Shipley spent two hours at the private estate north of London with the Queen and members of the royal family. Prince Philip, uh, Princess Margaret, uh, Prince Andrew and the Queen Mother were present and so it was a very happy, a very um, delightful private occasion to spend the lunch with them. The Prime Minister of New Zealand and Professor Peter Davis, Your Majesty. For her part, as a nod to the Prime Minister, the Queen wore a silver fern brooch and republicanism, well, that was right off the agenda. And there's an old saying that says, let sleeping dogs lie. But there was plenty else to discuss. Last week I was here on Anzac Day. <laughs> to the PM's European trade offensive add nine wreath layings. 76 motorcades, six brass bands, and the OECD in Paris where she won praise for her chairmanship. Still, France, that old stumbling block, has been more show than go. No budget on agricultural access. Prime Minister of New Zealand, Your Majesty. Come in. Would you like to take a seat, yeah? Try that one. Sure. Well, I hope you haven't got too cold today. No, it's been absolutely beautiful. It's a magnificent property. It's been a great privilege to be here. 
Yeah, so speaking of visits, uh, Andrew Little is down on the West Coast today. Uh, he is visiting the Pike River Mine and he is he's made the interesting decision to actually venture into the mine. He's going about 30 metres into the mine um, to see for himself the challenges that they face and that, um, the recovery there. So Katie Bradford is actually down on the West Coast. She's at the mine and she, uh, she filed this for us. I'm down in Greymouth where this morning the Minister for Pike River Recovery, Andrew Little, and two family members of those 29 men who died in the Pike River mine, Anna Osborne and Sonia Rockhouse, entered the mine for the very first time. Now to be clear, they went 30 metres in, that's as far as you can go, it's essentially into the entrance of the mine, but a lot of this uh, is about symbolism. Past that point it's concrete, no one can go in, no one yet knows if it's safe or otherwise to go into that mine. But it was about the symbolism today and it was very emotional for those family members and for Andrew Little to have that opportunity to go in and get that close into the mine um, so many years after that 2010 mine disaster. Now Andrew Little continues to promise uh, the family members that he will do whatever he can to get into that mine uh, to go further in there and see what can be done uh, and, and those family members accept that while this may eventually not be able to happen, what they are pleased about is that the government is making an effort to do that. That they are, uh, they are trying. They've appointed this recovery agency, which is where I am now. Uh, they have people now starting on the ground work on finding out whether they can go into the mine. They hope that that re-entry will happen by March next year. Uh, now I put to Andrew Little today. Look, is this a bit of a political stunt going into the mine, being seen to do that? Labor made a lot of this when they were in opposition. Winston Peters, in fact, uh, also said he vowed he would enter the mine. Andrew Little has got in there first as far as politicians go. He says, Andrew Little denies it's a stunt. He says this is about doing what they can for the families, uh, showing that the mine is safe. He said he felt safe going in there. There were very lengthy safety procedures, not only for those going in the mine, but for those of us who were standing just outside it, uh, to even be able to get up to that point uh, and see that. And, and on the emotional side for these families, it's been a very hard time. Uh, some families don't want, to go, uh, don't want to go into the mine. Others do. The government says they'll be respectful of both families' wishes and do what they can to keep them happy. And that's what this meeting that I'm at now is about. These are family members meeting with Andrew Little and the recovery agency to share their views, to ask questions, to find out where to from here. Uh, and in terms of that where to from here, the next big step is that the te some technical advisory from companies from around the world will be here at the end of the month uh, down here in Greymouth and going up to the mine and that's when they'll start looking at what work needs to be done next in terms of testing, drilling, uh, drilling boreholes, uh, uh, finding out how safe it is and so forth. A lot of that is weather dependent. But that, there is that deadline of March next year. Big promises from the government about whether this can go ahead. But work is underway. Yeah, so this is... Um I I got I quite quite agitated by this. <laughs> I feel like um I do feel like Labour and New Zealand First have really politicized this issue and and I and I and I feel like perhaps in the end of this and we've talked about this before in the podcast that in the end ultimately this probably going to end in disappointment for the families. Um it feels like this is just a bit of a drag race between Andrew Little and Winston Peters as to who got who gets down there first to get in the mine. Obviously, Andrew Little is down there. He's won that drag race. Um, and I just, yeah, I just feel, I feel like um, 
there's no there was no need for him to go down there was no practical benefit of him being there the cameras are on him you know he's enjoying the publicity he'll get story on the news tonight all the networks will cover it radio will cover it um but for what for what gain it, 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 tomorrow morning he's there's going to be no further advancement into recovering the mine, getting in there, unsealing it, you know? So. it's. I think when we first heard about the story, we said, oh, so Andrew Little's going 30 metres into the mine. Why? <laughs> exactly. And I think that was the question there. <laughs> I guess what he's trying to do in all of this is stamp his political authority on the portfolio. It's a new portfolio that Labour has created and he's trying to um, make sure that that out there, the message gets out that he's on it and he's looking into it. I guess it might be helpful to see it for yourself and be there and do it, but I feel like, um, you know, it's it's a it's a media stunt. Mm. It's a it's a photo opportunity, um, a good one. But um, and I guess that's politics and that's the world that we operate in. But it's just such a sensitive <coughs> subject and such a um, a sensitive thing for a lot of people in that region. It is. It's so sensitive. It definitely pulls on the heartstrings. And I guess, I guess where where I sit on it is Labour spent a long time criticising National and John Key for making promises that he didn't then deliver on. True, he didn't. Um, but then are they also raising hopes and making promises that ultimately the evidence seems to suggest that they won't be able to deliver on? Um, yeah. And, you know... But that's, that's politics, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess it is. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing those images, though. I guess they'll be quite powerful. It's the first time that we've um, seen inside the neck or the portal um, of the mine, though. So we'll see what happens when they come back, and I guess that's the power of a minister. Yeah, and it, look, if it, if it ultimately achieves what everyone hopes that it'll achieve, to get mm. um, resolution for those families, some kind of closure and peace for those families and absolutely brilliant but I, I would hate to think that um that it's a political game yeah um you know yeah we'll see well it's been the end of a quite busy reasonably busy recess week actually absolutely. we've got recess next week as well so um two weeks is unusual for MPs to have off and in, in their electorates so it's been great to have you with us on Inside Parliament it's our weekly catch-up of the political stories that we've been covering on One News if you want to have a listen to this on Thursday evening, we are available on the One News Facebook page or check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Thank you very much for being with us. Yeah.